from the written word to the spoken word. May it become the living word for us. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I was once on holiday and I was asked, what do you do? And I didn't want to respond immediately, replying that I'm a Methodist minister can often be a conversation stopper. So my family asked our newfound friends to hazard a guess as to what I did. And it was very amusing seeing them try to work me out. A policeman, a politician, a tax inspector, a nightclub bouncer, <laughs> a used car salesman. It was very interesting as they went through all these things and I only, I may feel at times like I'm some of those things, but I'm not really. And at the end, eventually, they found out the truth and they couldn't believe it when they heard. If they'd known I was a minister first, well, it might have put them off developing the relationship early on, or at least changed the way they behave. Perhaps they'd tidy up their language or something like that. But we had a chance to get to know one another. So by the time the big revelation came, we were good friends. But it's strange, isn't it, how easily we judge people that we don't know by how they look or what we've heard about them or the very little that we actually do know about them. Our prejudices come into play. We make assumptions about them. We may take a big jump, a jump to a conclusion. No wonder it's been said that the only exercise that some people get is jumping to conclusions, running down friends, sidestepping responsibility, and pushing their luck. My message for this morning is a simple one, but I think it's important. The first point is this. Don't jump to conclusions. Exercising our prejudices and convenient, lazy thinking doesn't make us fit for anything. In fact, it usually lets us down. We end up falling short of what God wants us to be. If you have a look at this image, I think it's a good one. In our reading today, as soldiers were taking Paul to the barracks in Jerusalem, he asked the commander if he could address the furious crowd that was around him. And the commander was taken back a bit, really. He didn't expect to hear Paul speak eloquent Greek. He had actually jumped to a conclusion that Paul was actually an Egyptian thug, the leader of a large band of terrorists. He, he presumed because of the uh, fury of the crowd that that's who he'd got in his midst. He'd made that presumption, but he was wrong. And so the commander thinks again and lets Paul speak. How often do we write people off before they even get a chance to open their mouths? How often do we perhaps get on the tube? It's been very pertinent with the anniversary of 7-7. Seven, seven. 
Do we get on the tube and we see someone sitting near to us and we jump to a conclusion, fearful that certain types of people may just be a terrorist because of news stories and stereotypes? And we begin to label people in our minds, even if it's not actually in practice, purely because of their race or religion, their color or their appearance. Yes, we have to be cautious and aware. We have to be very, very careful. We have to be on the lookout. We're told to do that. But we also have to hear what some of those Tunisian Muslims have been saying in those holiday resorts often with tears and great anguish. Please, please don't think we are like those evil killers. We're not. And to see some of the holiday makers who've made friends with them in tears with them because they realize the pain that they're going through. We never want to be judged in the same way because we vaguely look someone like somebody else who's done something wrong. And just because some ministers and priests, as we hear sometimes in the news, have abused children or acted inappropriately, it doesn't mean that everybody who wears a dog collar is exactly the same. Of course they're not. But unfortunately, we do jump to conclusions about others before even getting to know them. And we should remember that this happened to Paul as well. He jumped to a conclusion about Stephen. He persecuted him and other followers of the way. He was a devout Jew. He was a godly man, but he made a slip. He approved of Stephen's stoning because of what he thought about Stephen. And then he realized he was wrong and that the martyr Stephen was right. And the others who'd followed Jesus we're right too, but that only happened later. Don't jump to conclusions. And don't be so narrow-minded that your ears rub together. You may uh, think that you're right about something. And there's always the possibility that you are wrong, just as I may think I'm right about something. And there's always the possibility that we may be wrong. And before our God, who is just and all-knowing, we must pray that the light of Christ will shine on everything we do and enable us to be a community that act in spirit and in truth in our worship and in our behavior too. In recent weeks, our study of Acts has shown that the people in Jerusalem were not happy with Paul. There were riots about what he'd been saying. People thought the worst about Paul. They presumed all sorts of things because of what they'd heard he was doing. They'd beaten him up. They had heckled him. And in the verses just before our reading, we didn't just actually hear them, but there was uproar. And the commander couldn't get to the truth about Paul because there was so much noise going on. They took him up the stairs to the barracks and the mob was so violent that the soldiers had to ha carry him up the stairs that he was so beaten. Away with him, they cried. And the whole thing's so reminiscent of what happened to Jesus, our Lord's trial. We think, how could people have thought that about our Lord Jesus? 
But the religious leaders and the Pharisees of the day jumped to the conclusion that they were right and he was wrong, leading an innocent man, the Son of God, to his death, nailed to a cross with nails of righteousness. So the warning to us today through this reading is don't tailor our faith to fit the pattern of our prejudice. Always be open to the spirit of truth. Don't always work in neat and tidy ways because the spirit of God often isn't neat and tidy. He doesn't always follow the fashion of the day. And jumping to conclusions involves a lot of guessing, speculating, assuming, presuming, and so on. And we need to exercise care and prayer in everything that we do. So don't jump to the conclusions. It's the first thing that strikes me about this passage. Then secondly, look and listen. We always need to test our assumptions by looking and listening before we leap. Our faith is not a blind faith. We put our trust in something that is certain that we need to always be asking the questions. And in our time-poor society, the danger is we tend to hold on to our beliefs, defend our positions, and perpetuate our pre prejudices in the process because we haven't got time to give prayer and thinking to things that are important. And so we learn something from today's reading, that it is vital that we're always looking that we're always listening, that we recognize our assumptions, and we test them too. The commander realized that he jumped to a conclusion. He realized that Paul evidently wasn't a terrorist, but he was a Jew from Tarsus, a citizen of no ordinary city, it says. So, he changes his mind. He allows Paul to speak, and he listened to speak, Paul speak, and he let him speak. And there on the steps, Paul motioned to the crowd. And we're not sure how he did it. One moment there is this crowd that is, you know, shouting and, and beating him. And the next moment he motions and silence falls on the crowd. Was it the power of his personality? Was it the power of the Holy Spirit? We're not told. It was probably both. All we know is the violent throng that wanted to kill Paul saw him and they listened in silence. And the Holy Spirit flowed through Paul's testimony. And I want to encourage you too to be a people who are always looking and listening. As Paul told his story, he spoke about how he saw the light on the road to Damascus. As he saw it changed him. And we read those verses in uh, chapter 6. About noon, as I came to near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground. I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, who you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they didn't understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. So Paul was looking and listening. He was a devout Jew, remember? 
He was open to the Spirit of God. He got it wrong before, but the Spirit of God now, through the vision of the risen Jesus, had spoken to him. But not all his companions saw and heard. But when it happened to Paul, he was blinded by the brilliance of the light that he saw. And he listened and he did what the Lord asked him to do. He went to Damascus and to Ananias who gives him back his sight. And Paul is able to see clearly and he listens to what the Lord wanted him to do. And then he hears that he must go to the Gentiles. Paul had jumped to conclusions about Stephen. But because he was devout, God was able to change his heart and to lead him in the way that he wanted him to go. Remember those words of Jesus, because they're so relevant here. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened to you. I think the challenge to us today is to be open to what God's saying to us today. Don't presume everything that's gone before is still right now. We need to know what the Lord is revealing to us through Scripture, what he's saying to us. How are we making sure that we're looking and listening? How are we checking that we're not stuck in our ways? Are we sure that we are working for God and not against him? I'd venture to suggest that our prayers, our worship, our reading of the Bible, our fellowship together as we work things through together and seek the truth is the way that God will reveal himself to us, the way that the light will be shed. So that's the message for us. Are we jumping to conclusions? Are we looking and listening? And the next thing is, are we prepared for change? The resurrection about... Uh, is about transformation and change. Every Easter, we're reminded of that. Jesus beat the feared enemy of death. He triumphed over sin and the prejudice of the world. His suffering was turned to healing. His death was turned to life. And hopelessness was turned into hope. It was all about change. And he calls all people to turn towards his love. We call it repentance away from selfishness and ungodliness, and to those who truly believe on his name, who turn towards him, he gives mercy and new life by his grace. And we notice that wherever Jesus was, change came about. Fishermen become disciples. Guilty people are forgiven. The sick are healed. The hungry are fed. Outcasts are welcomed. Spiritually blind have their eyes opened. The dead are raised. And I could go on. There is this transformation taking place throughout the ministry of Jesus. And unless we allow God to be at work within us, we will never see the new wine of his kingdom. We will never hear his life-giving word. There's a Chinese proverb that says, be not afraid of growing slowly, be only afraid of standing still. Gradually, 
he is changing us. That lovely Wesley hymn, change from glory into glory till in heaven we take our place. He is changing us. That's that wonderful image of the, the chrysalis to the caterpillar into the butterfly. I pray that may be true of each of us as we grow in faith. But we have to allow God's spirit to work to enable us to be who he wants to be as we seek to be obedient, as Paul sought to be obedient. Verse, uh, Acts 22, verse 10, Paul says, What shall I do, Lord? Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told what you have been assigned to do. I think the Lord today wants to tell his people what he's assigned us to do. But we need to make sure we don't jump to conclusions, that we are looking and listening, and that we are prepared for change. And the final thing, once we are changed, we need to be able to share our experience of a changed life. I wonder what your story is. If we had a microphone, I went round today, and I asked you to talk about your journey of faith, what God has meant to do, what spiritual journey you've been on, you'd all have wonderful things to say in different ways. Everybody's different. Everybody's on a different stage of their journey. Something has drawn you here today. In your own way, the Spirit is at work within you. And you have a story. But so often we keep that story to ourselves, or we don't know how to share it. And every one of you needs to be able to share something of your story of how you got to where you are with God because that will be a great blessing to others who are on their journey too, even those who are against you. And it is your story, no one else's. If you tell my story, it won't be relevant because my story is not your story. I remember uh, Frances, uh, my wife, uh, used to tell the story about how she came to faith and she always worried that she didn't have a Damascus Road experience. She'd been brought up in a Christian home and gradually come to faith. She can't actually remember a time when she wasn't a Christian and then she was a Christian. It was just part of her nurture. And she found it very difficult, you can ask her afterwards, uh, telling, telling people uh, about it because she said, oh, nobody's going to be interested in my story. It's not very dramatic but it's her story. And when she has told it in her ordinary language, people have said, your story's like my story. I'm greatly encouraged. Somehow, as you have told your story, it's resonated with my spirit, and I feel blessed and encouraged that I'm not the only one like you. And here, Paul had a dramatic conversion, yes, but he told his story to that crowd and the power of the Spirit fell. Because it's not our story, it's his story in us, if you know what I mean. And so actually it has a power all of its own. As we, if I may put it this way, gossip the gospel, just tell of what our faith means to us, tell the story, somehow people are touched by it. It's not about magic formulas, it's about honesty. It's about making our stand about being courageous, and Paul was certainly that. He had his story, 
and he told it when he was given the opportunity. And time and time again, it was when he was up against it, he told his story, not just when it was convenient. He was bold. And I really believe that we can learn from Paul. He wasn't a shrinking violet. And I think we need to regain our confidence in just in very simple ways of telling our story. And he always bore in mind his context, who he was speaking to as well. He always tried to get his crowd on his side. In other words, he didn't bang them over the head with the gospel. He talked about things that they could relate to because he wanted to win them over. And so here he speaks in the Aramaic language because that was familiar to them. He talked about our ancestors. Oh, his ancestors are my ancestors. He talks about this common way. He talks about how he was a Jew, and here were Jews, and they had made an assumption that he was only interested in the Gentiles, but he was someone who had changed. And as he used that common ground, they were intrigued. We've just beaten this guy up, and yet he's telling us of this wonderful message. Storytelling has to be relevant. When um, uh, people talk about their faith in prisons, the best people to do it are those who have been in prison themselves, who've been changed by the Christian faith and go back in. If I go in and talk about Jesus in the prison, they'll think, who's this posh guy who's come in? Uh, you know, what? he doesn't know what it's like to be in prison. Those who really have a powerful ministry in prison are often those who've been there who've actually experienced the difference that can make, that talk the language, tell it straight, are be far too political and gentle and what have you. They go in and they'll tell them what they think and people resonate with it because it's real for them and it's relevant. It says here, Paul fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Not everybody responded to his story. We will find the same. Not everybody will be pleased to hear what we've got to hear or share. And we need to respect that. Not jump to conclusions about them because the Holy Spirit might be working in them in time just as the Holy Spirit worked in Paul in time. So we have to carry on loving them and be generous and gracious. They won't always listen, but that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to be obedient, to share our witness. And in a world where people jump to the conclusion that science has done away with faith, Christianity is impotent, outdated, and irrelevant, that Methodism is dying on its feet, that it's had its day, remember that our God is a God of surprises. And the stories that I hear of Methodists on fire for their faith gives me hope. So it's no good telling me. We need to tell our story in our context, in our day, of a God of transformation. Being where we don't jump to conclusions, we're always looking and listening, we're prepared for change, and that we have that story to tell. John Wesley said, the best is yet to come. And I'd like to pray that we will know that in our experience. Amen. Let us pray together.
I'd like us to use a Franciscan blessing as we pray that we may be the people that God wants us to be today. May God bless us with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships, so that we may live deep within our hearts. May God bless us with anger at injustice, oppression, and the exploitation of people, so that we may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless us with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, hunger, and war, so that we may reach out our hands to comfort them and turn their pain to joy. And may God bless us all with enough foolishness to believe that we can make a difference in this world so that we can do what others claim cannot be done and bring justice and kindness to all God's children, especially the poor. Amen.